You are listening to the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast with John Pemba and Andrew Cooper. What is going on, everybody? John Pemba here with Andrew Cooper bringing you the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Football Podcast. Coop, it's been a little bit since we've uh, gotten to connect. You obviously come on alarm after hours. We've talked a lot about doing this fantasy football podcast for FA Nation. Uh, how's everything going with you? Awesome, man. Like, I, I can't believe it's taken us this long to get on here, man. It's We've been, you know, we're on the same page as far as analysis, style, everything. We've been talking about it for a while. So it's going to be good to get out there and uh, and and get the word out to the people. So, yeah, I mean, listen, like said, since, since you've come joined Fantasy Alarm, was it's two or so years ago, I think, at this point, basically, uh, you know, we've always wanted to get together and, and do one of these. Because like you said, you know, we, we have a really good back and forth. Uh, of course, some of you may or may not know, but Coop and I actually know each other IRL, you know, in, in real life. Coop and I are friends. So uh, we have that little bit of a, of a connection here uh, as well. But when it comes to analysis, I mean, Coop is just pumping out the content right now. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, at Coop Fiasco, just always on the Twitter machine, always on the pages of Reddit. Uh, dropping the knowledge you guys need to know to get ready for your draft. So we figure, you know, why not get together, put this in a podcast for everybody to listen to, help them, you know, be successful, get ready for the season. And, you know, like like our guy Justin Fenchman likes to say, always dominate because there is no other option here uh, with Fantasy Alarm. So uh, we're going to get this podcast going for you all. We have a lot of great things that we're going to cover. Uh, and today, you know, we're going to kick it off, you know, with it being sort of our, our inaugural uh, episode one here. I think we have to at least touch upon the NFL draft that we just had, Coop. Uh, obviously, as Dynasty drafts are getting underway, we're going to talk a little bit of Dynasty as well. Uh, and then, of course, everybody's already doing best balls. I'm seeing that all over my Twitter timeline. Uh, so it's going to hit a little bit of the best ball uh, content as well, but it should be good uh, and a lot of fun today. Yeah, let's get to it. So we're going to talk about uh, NFL draft that just happened here. The obvious way to run about this is going with winners and losers. You got you did a ton of draft work content for Fantasy Alarm. You did a lot of the team needs, a lot of the breakdowns. So when it comes to draft winners, you know who do you think are, are some of the NFL players that benefited the most from how their teams drafted, how their teams didn't draft? You know who's getting the bigger increase in value coming out of the NFL draft as we look towards. Uh, the upcoming fantasy football season for you. So, you know, in doing all those different team needs articles for the draft, basically what, you know, what you're doing is you're going through looking at, you know, what teams are rebuilding, what teams are done rebuilding, what teams are trying to win now. And you're seeing kind of where the depth charts are thin, you know, where they could use some help or where it's crowded. Uh, and that's kind of where you're looking at the needs. So, I mean, right off the bat, when you look at some of these teams that going to the draft, everyone thought they needed a certain position. Uh, when they didn't fill that position in the draft, you ended up with big winners on the other side. And the first ones that obviously come to mind are, you know, looking at the Dolphins where, you know, they fired their coach. They, uh, you know, this is 2019, fired their coach, traded with their quarterback, didn't bring anybody on board for two years as they rebuilt the line, rebuilt the defense. Then they, you know, brought on wide receivers. You thought maybe they bring in a running back. And then they didn't, which leaves Miles Gaskin at the top of that depth chart. I mean, they did bring in Malcolm Brown in free agency, but the fact that they could have taken with their, their draft capital, they had two picks in the first round. They could have taken any running back they wanted twice, didn't do it. So I think, you know, Miles Gaskin's a big winner there. And right in the same vein is you've got a team in the Falcons where they have 
an older quarterback. They have Julio Jones, who's who's older. You know, they, there's been some rumors about trading him. But if they go into the season as the roster stands now, they're playing to win right now. And they didn't take a running back. They didn't bring back Todd Gurley. So, you know, Mike Davis kind of stands alone on the top of that depth chart. I mean, John, who else do they really have? Quadri Olison? Um... Yeah. I mean, listen, last year I was one of the bigger fans, honestly, of Todd Gurley. Obviously, you know, ultimately didn't end up working out. He wasn't able to fully hold up. They didn't give him the workload. I think I expected, but what he did do was score touchdowns. And that was the one of the bigger things that I was expecting out of Gurley last year. Cause you know, heading into the year, you know, the season prior to the, the Falcons were one of the worst teams in red zone efficiency. And it was Todd Gurley. That was one of the best red zone running backs uh, in the NFL. So I felt like signing him was filling a need. He got those touchdowns for him, had nine. Uh, so getting a guy like Mike Davis, like you said, coming over off of, you know, a really strong year as you know, what ended up being the starting running back for Carolina after the Christian McCann, Jeffrey injury went down uh, and his ability to impact not only the running game, but also the passing game, I think fits well into that uh, Atlanta offense. So like you said, the fact that they didn't really bring in anybody else other than Davis to uh, be that, that you know, spearhead, that running attack, giving his dual versatility in that offense. Uh, and the fact that his quads are maybe the biggest in the NFL. If you haven't checked out that viral uh, photo that's going around Twitter, uh, hard not to like. Uh, what we have going on uh, there physically. But to, to bring back to your point with Miles Gaskin, I mean, he was a player that last year came out of nowhere, right? Like he wasn't on anybody's draft boards until basically uh, maybe the end of the season. If you got a hint, everybody's expecting Jordan Howard, maybe Matt Breida. And then all of a sudden it was Gaskin's getting the start, you know, essentially uh, out of the gate. He was another player that was under uh, you know, a really strong start and a guy that was heavily involved overall in the offense too. A guy that was involved in the passing attack, involved in the running game. Injuries ended up taking him out, uh, you know, towards the end of the year there. Uh, but like you said, the fact that they don't have much, you know, behind them. Sure, Malcolm Brown, you know, he kind of hurt us. Uh, Cam Akers truthers last year at times, cutting into some of the production that we thought Akers may have gotten into. Uh, and then it's Salvin Ahmed, right? Like that was the other guy that kind of popped a little bit when Gaskins was out. So, uh, you know, offensively, we've seen what Gaskins can do. Uh, with Miami. And like you said, the fact that there's little competition there for him now, I agree with you, kind of boost both of their overall fantasy values. We know we'll check out some ADPs uh, in another episode, but I imagine, you know, once again, as people go RB heavy, these are guys that probably end up getting overdrafted a little bit as the hype train kind of builds throughout uh, the off season. Uh, Coop, is there any other, uh, I guess, winners that you like to point out here after this NFL draft? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to jump into one in a second. I just want to say that, like you said there, I, I love the point you made about the touchdowns because everybody looks at the Falcons' offense and they think, okay, this offense is going to be explosive. You know, even if Kyle Pitts is the third guy, he could still catch a, a million balls. It's going to be an offense that's scoring points. Like if you look at some of these teams, the, you know, like uh, Aaron Jones scoring 30 touchdowns in 30 games, or even my favorite example is LeGarrette Blunt in 2016 scoring 18 touchdowns with Tom Brady at quarterback. Like is LeGarrette Blunt really an amazing running back or was he just in an amazing offense? So I think that, you know, in this situation, you might you don't even have to believe in the quads or believe that he's this amazing running back to understand that if you think this offense is going to be good, somebody needs to score those one, two yard touchdowns yeah. you know, when so, there's a pass interference in the end zone or whatever. So when they get you know. inside like that five yard line, they're just running the football. I mean, it's, it's great to have all of these explosive wide receiver options that are spreading the field, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and I will see how Kyle Pitts fits into that. But when this field gets smaller, 
those guys run out of out of space to run, you know, and the defensive defenses can really, you know, clamp down on those guys when they get in the red zone, as we've seen, you know, oftentimes they're sort of pulling our hair out because we're seeing jump balls thrown to Julio and Ridley. And yeah, they convert those, but those are a lower percentage uh, plays. So what we've seen, that was one of the reasons why Atlanta had one of the worst red zone efficiencies, you know, a couple of years ago, because they didn't have anybody that could run the football in. And Matt Ryan couldn't throw it to anybody when they were in the red zone either, uh, couldn't complete those passes. So Davis taking on that role, if he can stay healthy, you know, double digit touchdowns, I think it's very much within the realm of his, of his ceiling there, you know, and we'll see exactly Again, how that all translates, because like you said, they're expected to be a high-powered offense. They're going to run a lot of plays. They're going to throw a ton, but also his involvement in the passing game is, is nice as well. And, you know, in the same vein as as Gaskin and Davis, a lot of the winners from these drafts in terms of fantasy comes from, you know, guys that uh, didn't have new guys come in to take the roles. And I think you you really can't, you can't leave out on the receiver side guys like Josh Reynolds, where, you know, you have A.J. Brown. He's a dominant flanker, but you don't want him playing split end with his foot tethered to line. You want him playing flanker. We can go in motion, get off the jam easy. You bring in Josh Reynolds. He's your de facto split end. And now, you know, you don't have John Smith or Michael Pruitt to go to two tight end sets anymore. You kind of need that split end out there. So uh, they didn't draft anybody till the fourth round. They draft Des Fitzpatrick. You know, not only is he more of a slot guy, but if you look at fourth round draft picks, uh, over you know the last 20 years, basically only seven percent or so or so of them ever have a top 24 wide receiver season. So the odds of him really panning out aren't huge. So a guy like Josh Reynolds, um, you know the wide receivers that the uh, Lions brought in to head up their skeleton crew in terms of redraft, uh, you know Brashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams now have pretty clear paths to the outside on that offense. They brought in Amon Ra St. Brown, but again, fourth round pick, 17th wide receiver off the board. The, the Lions... Man, he's the man you hate more than um, no other. <laughs> or at least, I'm sorry, the man that you're receiving the most hate over uh, than no other right now is Amon St. Brown and your you know spicy hot Twitter takes and Reddit posts uh, about how uh, big mistakes people are taking because they're overdrafting uh, St. Brown right now. Again, we, we got a dynasty segment coming up. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But man, you know, I, I just picture sort of a, you putting out that post and then you have, you know, the Jon Snow gif of him standing there with the entire army running at him with the sword. Uh, that was kind of <laughs> you fielding off all those, all those comments uh, you know, insulting their guy, but no, nah, the, the biggest mistake, the first mistake they made is drafting Amon Ross St. Brown. And then the second mistake, which is probably even bigger mistake is coming after me on Reddit or Twitter about it <laughs> because I got all the numbers right here. I do this every single day. So right. bring your Amon Ross St. Brown takes to me at Coop a fiasco. We can talk about numbers and we could talk about four, six forties or whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, Coop, Coop not want to shy away from the Twitter battles. I'm more of the lurker. I'll maybe pop in with a with a well timed gif, uh, maybe a meme here and there. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I'm, I'm more sort of cheering on uh, Coop in the background. It's like, look at look at this guy over here, just dominating, <laughs> dominating people with his facts. You know, hard to hard to lose arguments when all you have is facts behind you, right? Right, Coop. So I was I was born in the fires of Reddit. That's where I spend more time on Reddit than than Twitter. And like, I love Reddit. And you know, I've lost bets for charity bets, gold bets. Like I'm willing to put it up there, you know, and you know, I'm not always right, but I will, like, like you said, I'll always bring the facts. So if you do want to have that argument, bring your facts and I'll bring mine and we'll see who has the best take. 
Yeah, so I want to say one other maybe winner, and maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, uh, but I went with Joe Burrow on this one. And it was, you know, the Bengals took a lot of heat for not drafting tackle uh, with their pick to sort of protect Joe Burrow after his season-ending injury last year. But I look at what they did was just get him another elite, elite receiving weapon. Uh, Jamar Chase, obviously his former teammate at LSU, they already have that connection there. Joining T. Higgins, joining Tyler Boyd, you know, they, they jettisoned uh, old man A.J. Green out of there. Uh, they had three receivers with 100 targets, right, last year, Cooper? They were just, just about three receivers at 100 targets. One of the rare teams, it rarely happens that you have three players in the same team that have 100-plus targets. In fact, in 2017, not a single team did it. 2018, one team did it. 2019, one team did it. Last year, it was the – actually, a couple teams surprisingly did it. But, one of, like, for instance, one of them was – the Redskins with Logan Thomas, Terry McLaurin, and J.D. McKissick. So when it does happen, it doesn't always happen the way that you picture it. So uh, that situation there with the Bengals, they run a ton of 11 personnel, no second tight end, no fullback, perfect uh, perfect setup for that to happen. Yeah, they don't run a second tight end, and the one tight end they do run out there is uh, Drew Sample, who is not really a pass catcher. Uh, he probably fits more of the what you call extra offensive tackle, right? You know, the guy that's more out there to block. Uh, I guess if there was one thing to potentially knock uh, Joe Burrow for was the fact that the Bengals decided to let go of Giovanni Bernard. Um, he you know, got a lot of third down work for them. Joe Mixon um, is obviously their lead back there. You know, behind them, they have Samaji P. Ryan, Chris Evans, Travion Williams. So you know, maybe if you're looking for some pass protection, there's still some questions there for Burrow. But, I mean, you look, he's going to sit up there. He's going to have, uh, you know, Boyd, Higgins, and Chase to throw the football to in games where the Bengals are more than likely going to be down. Uh, I think Joe Burrow comes out a big winner here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the like Joe Burrow couldn't have possibly lost because, you know, the two picks were um, Panay Sewell or um, Jamar Chase. And it's like, you, you could draft between, between his, you know, his college teammate, a guy who knows to throw the ball or draft another player to protect him. But, you know, they, they're going to get Jonah Williams back at left tackle. They brought in Riley Reef at right tackle, who was a left tackle for Dalvin Cook. So I think he's, he's pretty much covered. The only way they could have screwed that up is by, you know, just drafting somebody completely out of the box that they didn't need. Like if they took Kyle Kyle Pitts, for instance, maybe, or if they took somebody that's, which they complete uh, luxury pick. So right. I think Burrow's definitely a winner in this one. So, you know, Jamar Chase – you know, what's what's your take for for his landing spot? Now, again, I obviously like Burrow because he's on that team. But, you know, now you have Chase moving into this offense where he's going to have to compete with guys like, you know, Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. If we're looking at Dynasty, you know, in our Dynasty drafts here, you know, is he your top of the board receiver right now? Is he the number one receiver that you're looking for um, in Dynasty drafts? He He is, absolutely. And it's because of some things I mentioned earlier, which is that in a lot of teams, like if you take Rashad Bateman, for instance, the Baltimore Ravens have shown us time and time again that they want to use a ton of substitution. They want to use a ton of formations, right? So they want to use two tight ends at times. Nick Boyle plays more than Mark Andrews. He realistically plays like uh, if you look at his Per game snaps for the past two years, he plays more. So they want to use two tight ends. They have a fullback, Patrick Ricard, that comes on, you know, 30, 40% of the snaps. When a fullback comes into the game, right, you're not taking out the running back. You're not taking out the tight end. So one of your three wide receivers has to come out. The Bengals, what they basically did was they let Gio Bernard leave. 
they let um, they let their only guy that can play fullback, Seathan Carter, leave. He went to the Dolphins. So they 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 were already running more eleven personnel, which is three wide receiver sets than any other team in the league. So you know you can basically count on them to just use those three wide receivers and of running back, and that's kind of how they want to roll. And now all you really need is to have Jamar Chase emerge as one of the top two targets on the team. Or if the targets are split evenly, that hurts Tyler Boyd because he's the guy running the low uh, A dot average depth of target routes. So if it's split evenly, Boyd's the one that gets hurt. The only way Chase gets hurt is if the other two guys are just like, you know, getting 120 targets and he's getting 80. But, you know, maybe maybe his rookie year, but I really can't foresee that happening. So it's wheels up for Chase. Uh, so, so obviously that's a rookie that both of us are, are fans of, you know, what other rookies did you, you know, like where they ended up landing? So, I mean, you, it's the low hanging fruit, but you have to talk about the Najee Harris landing spot. I mean, it's like, how often do you have a situation where the fans want the guy, the fantasy community wants the guy, you know, the experts are saying he's going to go there. Everyone, you know, people are saying he's even got a name that sounds like a Pittsburgh Steeler, right? Najee, doesn't, doesn't Najee Harris yeah. sound like a Steeler? It's not, it's not, it sounds like a Steeler's like defensive tackle, but I mean, he's going to be playing running back. So. <laughs> right, yeah. Maybe it's the Franco Harris, too, that it's like, yeah. you know, it's like then he then he goes there. And the one knock on Najee Harris was basically that he's not, doesn't have elite speed. I mean, he's an Alabama guy. They don't have to go run the 40 at their pro day because they're special. So, he didn't run his 40, but people were saying that he, you know, he probably wouldn't have elite speed. Well, the zone blocking scheme that that team has run since Mike Tomlin's been there doesn't, you don't need elite speed for that. You just need vision. You look at Le'Veon Bell, uh, James Conner, neither one of them ran faster than a 4.6, a four, I believe. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I don't think either one was faster than a 4.6. And I, we know Najee Harris is at least running that. So, I mean, you talk about the one knock and he goes to one of, you know, the Jets also are a zone scheme, so he could have been fine there. But, I mean, he goes right to a spot where they're competing right now. You know, they're giving Big Ben another shot. They have the weapons. You know, it's like Najee Harris, he, he, like you said, you can't talk about the um, the landing spots without saying that's a beautiful one. You know? Right. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I guess my one question, uh, obviously, everything uh, on the surface, that, that pick looks fantastic. You know, are we at all concerned again with just the number of times that Pittsburgh throws the football? Uh, and are we worried at all about the health of Ben Roethlisberger, right? You know, when he went down uh, two years ago, they had zero quarterbacks and the running game suffered even more because teams didn't have to worry about them necessarily throwing the football. Uh, I think their backup quarterbacks right now is what, Rudolph and then um, Washington quarterback there. That's a uh, blank Haskins, right? Haskins, yeah. Right? You know, the, the, is there any concern, you know, with the style of offense that they run that Harris may not be able to you know, fulfill maybe the lofty expectations for him. I think I've seen him going in the second round of redrafts right now. You know, does that feel too high for a rookie running back or is it just, you know, the spot itself is just lending to that? Yeah, I think that that second round might be a little spicy. And I know people love the the shiny new things. So, um, you know, that in redraft, that might be a little tough. Like I'm not going to take him above like Joe Mixon, who's getting the full role now. But the thing is, he does, as far as the rookies go, he's far and away in the best situation in terms of landing spot because, you know, you have Travis Etienne who now is playing, you know, wide receiver. They're saying they're going to do a split backfield. Um, you got 
Jamonte Williams, who has a, a similar skill set to Melvin Gordon, who probably is going to start at the very least splitting. Like Najee Harris has this job. They've never said anything other than we drafted him to have this job right away. Right. Um, you know, Big Ben, he's always injury risk because the way he plays. I did read something that basically said like before he was, you know, he was drinking a ton. He was not taking care of himself. Now he's says that he's changed all that. He's on a new plan that he thinks is going to make, you know, help him stay healthy. I mean, at his age and with his injury history, it's hard to say that. But I mean, the way I look at it is that offensive production equals touches, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So I'd rather have a Najee Harris on a team where I know Big Ben can sling the ball than on a a team like the Lions, for instance, where they're projected to, you know, win four and a half games by Vegas or five games right now, I think it is. And it's like, or the Jets, you know, so uh, I'm definitely on board with Najee Harris at the right price, like you said. So w- yeah. once we get on the ADP show, we'll get into that and we'll say whether, you know, we think he's worth the, the price or not. But, sure. you know, if you can get him, he's probably going to be in, at least an RB2. Yeah, uh, give me give me one other favorite landing spot here for for rookies. So I actually really liked uh, just one other. Uh, I really like the landing spot for Nico Collins. So if you look at Nico Collins, he's basically uh, he's an older prospect from Michigan. He has on paper he has nearly the same size and speed as Kenny Galladay. Same height, pretty much the same forty time. Uh, Gall- uh, Collins actually has a little more burst. Uh, Galladay was the uh, 90, I believe it was the 96th pick in the draft when he went in the third round. Nico Collins is the 89th pick, so same draft capital. He goes to the Texans, which, you know, have the quarterback issue, but at the same time, they have no other competition. They have Brandon Cooks, who's ideally a flanker, and now Nico Collins at his size is a lock essentially to play split end. All he has to do is beat out Dante Moncrief, which hasn't really been an issue for anybody in in the history of the league. Right. So, it you know, it's like Moncrief catch footballs for new England last year. Cause there were times I didn't even know he was on the roster. So, right. Yeah. You know, but it's like that, that's, I guess the kill Harry, you know, he could be like that. But I mean, as far as landing spot goes, anytime you can have a, a big outside wide receiver, get into that rule right away where he's, you know, that team's not going to run two tight end sets all the time. So you're going to have to have a split end, you know, you have to have two guys tethered to the line. So that's why that role is so much more valuable than a slot role. Because you look at, say, even C.D. Lamb, for instance, he played 94% of his snaps in the slot. He was the slot guy. But when it was two wide receiver sets, he came out of the game. And because of that, he only played 64% of the total snaps on the year. So that's why I look at it and say, okay, this guy is a clear path to being one of the big boys that's out there in two wide receiver sets. He could have a you know, 80, 90% snap share right from the rip. That's why that's a real interesting landing spot for me. Uh, a guy that I was taking a look at here, and maybe I'm just, uh, you know, believing too much of the Jet propaganda. You know, I heard Fantasy Line, we have a handful of Jets fans here, but uh, the drafting of Michael Carter, what, what, what's your take there? Obviously, they have a new offensive coordinator, new head coach in New York coming over from San Francisco. Um, you know, they have San Francisco always use that running back by committee approach. They even brought in Tevin Coleman to essentially be their lead back. You know, but what is where do you think Michael Carter fits into this? I'm, I'm seeing things and, and reporters saying that he could be in the mix from day one. You know, is he somebody that in redraft leagues there's any value to you or is he just more so uh, maybe a dynasty pick? So, you know, and I, I'd love to hear a little more on your on your take on him, because I um, my thoughts so far on him 
and you kind of touched on this is that we need to this is when we really got to put your ear to the streets and listen to what the beat writers are saying about what they're seeing in practice because right now you have this kind of uh, you know, amalgamation backfield, like, like you see it in the 49ers where it's like, you have, um, not just Michael P Ryan, who last year they said, we want to give him a bunch of touches and see what he can do. And then he immediately sprained his ankle, you know what I mean? A high ankle sprain. So it's yeah. like, you didn't get to see it. And he's also a fourth round pick. So we're talking about Michael Carter being a fourth round pick as mm-hmm. well. You know, it's not like there's a crazy draft capital. I know it's different regime. So you got him, then you have Coleman who, you know, Salah is familiar with just coming over from the 49ers. I mean, we've seen it so many times, like uh, with um, the Panthers coach, uh, Rule, Matt Rule, gets the job, brings in Robbie Anderson, and everyone's like, oh, Robbie Anderson, what? You find out that they that he coached him at Temple, and next <laughs> thing you know, Robbie Anderson's getting over 100 targets. Robbie you Anderson's know? the reason they have Sam Darnold now, too. So, you know, just right. making those calls, you know? It's like, yeah, it's like the whole friends situation, you know? So Tevin right. Coleman's got that in. Then you got Ty Johnson, who, you know, I mean, technically he led the team in receptions yeah. last year, you know? Yeah. So it's like you kind of got to see what they're saying in camp if he's if he's running away with it. I mean, Michael Carter was splitting with Javante Williams, who everyone seems to love. Carter's a little smaller, but I mean, he had more they, yards. They both ran for a thousand yards there. So right. like they were just an all, all running team there uh, with the Tar Heels. So, I mean, I, I looked at it more so again, it, it, while it is sort of a, a, you know, a full backfield in terms of their approach, you look at the injury his, history from Tevin Coleman uh, and the fact that he's never really been that every down workload back anyhow, <clears throat> um, even you know with his time down there in Atlanta. And then you try to bring him in with, San Francisco and he, he gets hurt and he's, you know, splitting the backfields with, you know, Mostert and Wilson and all those guys are always being brought in, but they all at times have certain fantasy values. Then you take a look at, like I said, a guy like Coleman in that, those questions. And then you look at the fact that, you know, this is a new regime and they did use the draft capital and the investment in Michael Carter. So I think that almost gives him maybe a little bit of a leg up there too. Well, it's not the next really take down P Ryan or Johnson, but the fact that this staff took use a fourth round pick essentially in their first draft as this new regime, you know, why else would you, you know, waste a fourth round pick on a running back if you already had three in the group, if you were sold on the ones you have, or you didn't really like something special about Carter. So, you know, again, it, it's not going to be an early draft pick. Obviously this would be probably a late round flyer and a lot of redrafts. Um, but just knowing the style of offense that they're coming into potentially, um, this could be a guy that gets early touches. I've, I've just been reading a lot of, uh, you know, guys covering the team. You know, some of them I think are, are also speculating, but, you know, expecting sort of the same approach to be had. And he could be a guy that gets, you know, involved early. And if he looks good, he could be a guy that runs away with it. If he, if Coleman continues to be injury prone, he could get the first opportunity. So uh, maybe a little bit of a dark horse uh, sleeper there. But this all kind of rolls in, Coop to the dynasty conversation because right now is where a lot of the dynasty drafts um are going on uh i know you and i are in the xm fantasy dynasty dynasty league together you know what what are you seeing as sort of early trends going on uh in, in some dynasty drafts that maybe stick out the most to you so this is and this is something that happens every single year that I notice is that coming into the draft, you have all these guys, uh, especially, you know, within the fantasy community that hang their hat on their pre-draft analysis. So especially a lot of the film grinders, a lot of the guys that have these formulas that are based entirely on, you know, dominator rating or breakout age or friendship score or, you know, (laughs) times that they went to the, you know, to get a bagel at the cafeteria, whatever it was that, you know, these guys are, you know, their whole, um, style hangs on 
you know, their pre-draft analysis. So, you know, and these are the type of guys that, you know, they do Devi leagues, they set their drafts for the moment the draft ends so that they can, you know, grab these guys and tout them. I feel like what ends up happening in a lot of leagues that are like that, where everyone's so heavy into that, is these early mocks, these early drafts that you see, a lot of the guys that were huge in the eyes of these pre-draft prognosticators end up being overdrafted and then their ADP goes up. I mean, we saw it with Hakeem Butler, you know, people were saying Hakeem Butler is my top, my number one wide receiver or top three or top five, Kelvin Harmon, Riley Ridley. Then, you know, in the early drafts, right after the draft, Hakeem Butler, you know, he goes, he's going in the late first of rookie drafts, even though he went in the fourth round of the regular draft. Riley really went in the fifth. You go back and look at ADP from that year. Those guys are going ahead of guys like Terry McLaurin that are going in the third round. You know, it's like real NFL draft capital versus, you know, these guys that are falling in the real life draft teams. You know, professional scouts don't want them. You know what I mean? And I know it's not always the end all, but that's what I see in a lot of early trends is you see these guys like, you know, I mentioned Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, he goes way up. A guy like Kadarius Tony, you know, he goes in the first round of the NFL draft and then the, in kind of an unprecedented situation, the Jaguars coach comes out and says, oh, we wanted him. And the Packers GM comes out and says, oh, we wanted Kadarius Tony too. So, and then yet you still have people drafting a fourth-round pick Amon Ross St. Brown over him. You know, that's sometimes to me, uh, you know, that's kind of putting yourself in a situation where, you know, you're trying to say that you might know better than, you know, the entire scouting complex, and maybe you do, but when we look at the odds of success of first-round picks, it's almost 50%. If you right. look at the odds of success for fourth-round wide receivers, it's closer to 7%. So, and we're talking about success being one wide receiver two season they over the last decade there's been two you know over the last decade the best fourth round wide receivers are are who uh jameson crowder kiki kuti it's like you know brian hartline i mean like it's just it's not it's a bet where you better be sure of yourself if you're going to take amon ross and brown over Kadarius tony so right. and the rebuttal that you're you get a lot you know on this conversation you know as we alluded to before has been the the fit right like well, you look at the offense and, and who Tony has to compete with for targets uh, and, and, you know, usage shares there when on the field compared to what I'm on saying Brown has to overcome. And it's, you know, Brashard Perriman and, you know, a bunch of no names that are in, in his in his way on an offense that's not supposed to be good, um, you know, where they think, all right, maybe maybe there's just an opportunity where they'd be like, you know what, let's just see what the kit has with Jared Goff under center and, and you know, those those are the rebuttals that we're seeing when you when you kind of bring this up. It gets with it's what uh you know I said had one of your more heated uh Twitter posts. You know I was like, man, you picked everybody's favorite sleeper and shit on him, and you're like, not only did I do that, but I took the one guy everybody hates and said that he's better. You know, and, and it kind of caused this this huge stir. Right, and I get it. I so I get it with like if this were we were talking about like say uh, Tutu Atwell as a field stretcher versus um you know, Amon Ross St. Brown is a slot guy, then you make the argument of like, okay, well, this guy is a profile that's a boomer bust type role. And this guy is a slot guy. Well, Tony and uh, Amon Ross St. Brown are both slot guys. And I get the argument for, um, you know, targets at, you know, that's a good redraft argument because there's nobody there. But in dynasty, you see what happens with these rebuilds is they don't bring people in. The Dolphins didn't bring any, but they didn't draft or sign a player for two years. Preston Williams is an undrafted free agent. You know, it's like you look at the, the Buffalo Bills. 
you know, Robert Foster had like four 100 yard games once he became a starter midseason, four 100 yard games out of like six games. And then what happened to Robert Foster? Oh, they brought in John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Stephon Diggs because that's what you do in a rebuild. What happened to uh, Terrell Pryor on the Browns? Uh, you know, everyone's like, oh, Pryor, you know, you look at him breaking out. Well, that was like the very end of the tank. And then when they rebuilt, they brought in Odell, Jarvis, Hooper. I mean, you go across the board. The Rams had Kenny Britt. I yeah, think. Kenny Britt. Yeah, the, Ken- did the Patriots bring him for a moment as well? <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. And it's like, so Kenny Britt, big, you know, 100 target season or whatever. And then they brought in Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup. So if you think that the Lions are just going to, you know, go in and pass on a... You know, they passed on him four times, including twice in the third round. If you think they're just going to draft a wide receiver in the fourth round and dust their hands off and say, oh, rebuild's over, there's no (laughs) chance. You know, they're going to bring in – everyone else is on a one-year deal. They're going to bring in guys. So I like the idea of picking him in the third round and flipping him if he gets some targets early on. But there's no way I'm going to reach over some of the – a first-round pick or some of these other guys that have, you know, like a – Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, actual slot receivers that went in the second round. Like, I would never do that. So, for me, you know, it's just a pick that someone else is probably going to make that pick. But if he slides, you know, go for the, go for the flip. But uh, you don't want to get stuck with the hot potato of reaching for this guy, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, they haven't even started building the team yet, you know? Yeah, so you're, so you're telling me that, um, you know, Preston Williams, this, this isn't the year for him? That was her. That <laughs> Preston you? Williams would have been the – I've been tell, that's one you know I've been telling people. I know, I know. Like that, <laughs> I finally put that one to bed. And I feel like I was – when they finally did, obviously, kind of vaporize him here in the rebuild, I feel like I was – I didn't do as, as much um, – No victory lap for you? As much the... victory lap as you would have expected because yeah. – I just, I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings. I'm just trying to t- say what I truly feel is the case. Yeah. You know what and I mean? and you, do a, you do a great job of that, obviously. And like I said, it, it's hard to uh, lose arguments when you're using facts. And, and, and one of the great series that you have out here, I mean, listen, you're, you're coming off a nomination for the best, uh, was it the, the best fancy football series uh, last year uh, for your ultimate tight end draft guide. But you have a, uh, Dynasty Rookie Concepts article series that's coming out that uh, that that has been coming out that people have just been raving about. Obviously, it's getting a ton of airtime over uh, on the Fantasy Alarm Show at Howard and Jim. They've been talking about it. So, like, what was your your I guess idea behind starting this this series? You know, what what's like the one point that your 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 overarching idea around uh, the information that you're trying to present to everybody with these? Yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever get past uh, nominated for those awards because it seems like JJ Zach, uh, Zach just wins them all. So, um, you know, they, maybe I'll just be the perennial second place there, but we'll try again this year. Uh, but yeah, with the um, with the concept articles, what I basically did with these is I didn't I tried not to talk about the specific players, and you can obviously see them if you go on Fantasy Alarm or search Andrew Cooper Fantasy Alarm. They they come up. I didn't I tried not to look at just individual players, but I looked at the situations uh, for the positions on what can hold these guys back, and if you know, there's a lot more in the article than we could really get into on on For a podcast sure. like this but yeah, definitely um, go check them out uh, like he said if you go to fantasyalarm.com we have a writer's tab click on the writer's tab click on andrew's beautiful mug there uh and it'll take you to all of his recent articles uh and and they're all labeled there the dynasty concepts for running backs tight ends and wide receivers have been released so far yeah but the, to give you a quick idea like for wide receiver you won't you 
you want to look at the uh, the situation surrounding the player before you decide whether their lack of production is worth moving on from them or not. Like, for instance, you look at a guy like Chris Godwin, where he comes in, he's got good draft capital, he's a good profile, good player, but they have Mike Evans at split end, they have Deshaun Jackson at flanker, and Adam Humphreys in the slot. So he's got to wait, right? So the first year, moderate production. The next year, he claws some of those you know, snaps away from Adam Humphreys, but in two wide receiver sets, it's still Mike Williams and Deshaun Jackson. So he's still even getting some of those snaps from Humphreys. He's not getting the full snap share. What happens in the third year? Those guys are gone. You know, um, Deshaun Jackson, Humphreys gone. Now he's out there two wide receiver sets. It's laser show, you know? And it's kind of what we're talking about with CeeDee Lamb, where as long as Michael Gallup is a guy in two wide receiver sets, he can't really take off. You know, so a guy like that, you want you you got to recognize the situation of why he hasn't broken out yet and understand that the upside is still there it's like scratching only part of a scratch ticket whereas you look at um Nikhil Harry and he's you know 6'3 250 pounds 215 pounds there's not another guy on the roster that could really play split end yet Demir Bird kind of beat him out for that role and everyone's like oh man like that's <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah, pretty pretty rough i mean not all of it was Nikhil harry's fault but it was Nikhil harry's fault i mean there was a lot of times where cam newton just like couldn't throw was like he couldn't throw right or something like that or wasn't throwing to like one side of the field like there's a lot of bad things going on uh going on there with uh, uh with Nikhil it, harry it made no that's why it's like I looked at it and they they would put Ryan Izzo on on the side of the field that they said he couldn't throw to. It's like you would think that you would switch that, you know what <laughs> I mean, and put the guy that can actually catch on the other side. But I mean, the point of that is that like you know, and same with JGR Sega Whiteside, where Alshon Jeffrey's out, he's got a clear path and he doesn't capitalize. In a situation like that, that's more of like okay, you took the scratch ticket and you scratched off every single number except the last two. And you kind of know how scratch tickets work, right? Like you're like, okay, like I know I'm not like this would be the weirdest scratch ticket ever if if the last number was just a win, right? <laughs> yeah. But somehow you can you know try and find somebody in your league where you're like, you know what, this scratch ticket technically, you know, you could still win. And they're like, all right, yeah, I'll I'll give you a third for it. You know what I mean? So like that's kind of you have to realize what like look at these guys and their situation, what they're behind, what they're going up against, you know. So it's the same thing with tight ends. Like sometimes you have a tight end who goes into a situation where like Cole Komet, he goes into a situation where they have another tight end on the team. It's Jimmy Graham. All he does is catch passes. He's never blocked. You know, it's like that if you're a coach and you look at that tight end room and you have Jimmy Graham and you have this other guy, which one are you going to make block? You know, it's same thing with Goddard and Ertz. Right. It's not going to be the guy that has one of the worst, you know, run blocking, you know, or, or pass blocking, uh, you know, uh, ratings out there on PFF for sure. It's going to be Jimmy Graham, the basketball player out there is going to be catching bass footballs and not being asked to do that. So, exactly. uh, so my question here is as you're approaching your dynasty drafts, you know, like w- what is like a one strategy that you would give to people as maybe like the one that you generally go into drafts using? Like, do you, do you plan out to do target the same position? Is it more so where you land? You know, like what's, What's your go-to strategy when approaching dynasty drafts? I mean, this this is probably going to be the most scary thing to say to fantasy gamers, and it doesn't apply. It can't possibly apply to everyone. But when I do a fantasy draft, a dynasty draft, I always draft to win right away. So I almost always draft to win. I mean, unless the draft goes in a way where, say, I'm picking like 11th, and you know, the first 
10 picks are all running backs and I end up with a young wide out. And then, you know, it's like, I, I kind of have to skew young. What ends up happening is a lot of times is that, you know, like I just did one where I took Christian McCaffrey in the first round and the second round I took Saquon and in the third round Zeke was there. So I took him. Now I'm, I'm going into it playing to win. Right. So, you know, like I almost always, I always start, my mindset is I'm going to play, I'm going to win this year. You know what I mean? Cause it's like, right. we're putting 50 bucks, hundred bucks up on. If I put my name on the trophy and win, then it pays for my dues for forever. I could tank, rebuild, and still be paid for before the next time. Uh, you know, it's like I could do whatever I want at that point. So, right. like that's how I look at it. If, but my suggestion to anyone would be go into it with a clear one way or the other. Don't try and be that guy that drafts like the, you know, obviously in the first few rounds, you want to take young guys that are also really good. Like you'd be stupid not to, but at a certain point you got to decide if you're going to try and win right now, or if you're going to play for the future, because the worst thing you could do is get caught in no man's land where you're coming in like seventh place. You're not making the playoffs, but you're also not really getting a good draft pick. I mean, like you're in this situation where now you've got this mediocre team and you don't have a pick that can change your fortunes. I mean, I guess maybe in that situation you do take Trevor Lawrence because maybe he will change the outcome of your team. But what I say is, you know, before you get in that situation, deal with it in advance, deal with it during your startup, play to win right away, be the guy that drafts. So in that startup, I drafted, uh, I drafted those guys, right? Then I traded, traded away my next year pick to go up and get DK Metcalf. So I'm already without my first round pick, but I don't really care because I'm trying to win. My pick's going to be 12. You know what I mean? That's the right. confidence that you got to have going into it when you're going to do that. After that, I started taking guys like Adam Thielen, Odo Beckham Jr. You get them for free. You know, people don't want them because, right. you know, but you're, but you do like, once you set your mindset to that, you know, on the flip side, if you do it the other way, you know, be the guy that trades away your pick for future picks, be the guy that takes guys that are, you know, that you believe in that are kind of still stuck behind other guys you know come in dead last you know what i mean like in most leagues there's in redraft leagues you have a penalty for coming in last but in dynasty there's usually no penalty for coming in last you know and only first place gets a bunch of money so if you're not coming in go full ricky bobby with it first place or last place you know that's that's the way i look at it because you you get nothing for coming in sixth you know what i mean you get nothing but a bad draft pick I'm usually, I'm definitely one of the guys that kind of employ the strategy you're talking about. And I find oftentimes, you know, you know, whether you're in a dynasty league or you're in sort of like, you know, super flexes or premium leagues, you know, the rush to get sort of that, you know, special type of player in those drafts, whether it be the rookies that you can get long-term or the super flex, you're getting, you know, all the quarterbacks go earlier and the tight end premiums, for instance, like all these tight ends are going earlier. And then what happens? The elite players fall because people are too busy focusing on, you know, guys outside of the ADP. And like you said, you you had three picks and you got to the top three running backs basically in football and a dynasty draft. And all of those guys are still fairly young. You know, it's not as if they're these aging, you know, players. You just got maybe three of the top eight running backs for the next, you know, however many seasons because people are more focused likely on the younger talent that was in the draft, you know? Exactly. And there's a, there's a little secret that people don't know is that sometimes you draft a team like that and then you don't end up being bad in a couple of years. You just continue to be awesome because you still get draft picks for the most part. You know, you can hit on a guy at the 12th overall pick at the 24th pick. Like if you draft a team like that, you draft Adam Thielen and he plays for 
for a couple more years and you win, that doesn't mean that you don't hit on your picks when you take Terry McLaurin or you take Chris Godwin, guys that you know Galladay were available yeah. in the third round. You could just end up being good forever, you know. But if you start off, you know, playing to have this balanced team or playing to lose, like you're probably going to lose. So you kind of, my opinion is to go w- decide which way you're going to go and go all in, in that direction. And it makes your picks a lot easier and it makes trading a lot easier. Everyone loves trading with you when you, they know that you're either trying to win right now or they know you're trying to lose because they know what you want. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes it more fun that way. Yeah, no, it definitely makes it more fun that way. And like you said, there's, Still a lot of season left to go. We're just getting into really, uh, you know, draft days for the most part, right? You know, now that the NFL draft is over, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot more activity with dynasty drafts. But not only are we seeing dynasty drafts, Coop, best ball drafts are all of a sudden popping up all over my Twitter timeline. I don't know about your Twitter timeline. I'm sure it's the same thing because we likely follow all the same people. Uh, and a conversation that you and I have gone back and forth on is like, why so early? You know, why are people investing in their in these best balls, best ball drafts now? Other than what I imagine is just the you know, entertainment enjoyment factor, right? Because you can't really make the most informed decision. I don't feel in May on a team where there hasn't even really been mini camp yet. There has, you know, like there's obviously been no training camp. The season is months away. You know, so I guess to start this off, like, is, you know, is it too early to be drafting right now? Like, again, our opinion says yes, but like, do you see a merit or value to drafting right now? I do. I do see some. I know you and I kind of have an opinion on this already that, you know, there's it's it's a little early to be, especially if you're putting a lot of money on it. I mean, like if you like think about two years ago, if you if you did best ball drafts at this time of the year in 2019, like. With Ty- Tyreek Hill had just like had the issue with his son breaking his arm and the the you know the voicemail where he like threatened his his uh you know his wife's yeah. uh, you know his girlfriend there and it was like Tyreek Hill was going in like the fifteenth round. Well, if you drafted a high stakes best ball league at that time of year, you probably got smoked because Tyreek Hill was ended up being just fine. He ended up being awesome, you know. So it's like. Right. Um, I, that's, that's one of the reasons why I don't love it. What I do like though, is I like, um, the idea of doing a five or $10 best ball draft to, in order to get an idea of, um, of ADP just by the nature of, okay, here's a draft where it's mostly going to go based on what the regular season, you know, a regular draft, but people actually have stake in it. So they actually care about what happens. So they're going to draft it legit you know, and there's no waivers. So it's not like something you need to be on top of all year round. So I think if you're going to draft right now, do best ball. Like don't, you got to be outside your mind. You definitely shouldn't be doing a redraft. Yeah, a regular redraft with like waivers and stuff. You got to be crazy because last year it's like, you know, before the season even started, you had like Darius Geis getting kicked out, you know, going to possibly going to jail. I don't even know what happened with that, but he's done. You know, Cortland Sutton got hurt before the season started. It's like things were happening that were ruining teams before, the season even started. So, but I do think, um, you know, now's the time. And if you do have one other thing is that if you have these hunches where you think you're way ahead of everyone else and ADP is going to catch up later and you want to capitalize on that, then now's the time to go for that because there are some situations that are completely up in the air, you know? So if you think, you know, one way or the other, which way it's going to go, you know, now's the time to potentially get in the best ball and take your shot on that. You know, I mean, like, 
what are some of the ones out there? Uh, like Aaron Rodgers, for instance. Right. You have no. You have no idea what's going to happen in the quarterback position there in either Houston or Green Bay, right? Like that. That is, and and this has been one of the bigger. Again, I think you and I actually even had this conversation. Uh, was you know like where are you drafting Devonte Adams right now, knowing that it could be Jordan Love as his quarterback? You know, last year I was I got. <laughs> I got DeAndre Hopkins in the third round of a of a league last year because for whatever reason, the industry perception was that him going from Houston to Arizona was going to be bad for his value. I didn't understand that at all. I took DeAndre Hopkins wherever I absolutely could because of how low he was going. You know, but now if you're in a situation where Adams is going at the, you know, the middle to early second round in some drafts right now, if you're drafting now, like where are you taking Devontae Adams? Because if Love is his quarterback, you you can't. I don't think you're anticipating all of a sudden that he's going to be putting up wide receiver two, wide receiver one numbers. You know, right? Like the, the, you got to think that production dips. Yeah, I mean, with DeAndre Hopkins, you at least had a history, an extensive history of seeing him play with trash quarterbacks and get it done. With Adams, you know, it's basically all been all Rodgers. So you you don't actually have a sample size of him catching the ball from, you know, like Ryan Mallett or I forget some of those names over there that were just like... Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn, like, so, you know, I, I think you still draft him. Like you, you, you move them down a couple spots, in my opinion. Like I think now you got to take guys like AJ Brown and Stephon Diggs, who are in the same situation they were just in, you know, over him. But I think you still got to respect the talent. I mean, you don't, you don't put up those numbers without that skill, you know, even with Rodgers or not. But yeah, I mean, like that's what I'm talking about in terms of the best ball. Like if you have that hunch, like if you think that you're like, you know what, he's gonna play. You can get that value right now because people like us are fading him a little bit. But if right. you don't think that he should be faded, you get that. You know, if you think Jamison Crowder is going to be released and Elijah Moore is going to be the starting slot wide receiver from day one, like if you really truly believe that, and it could happen. I mean, they saved $10 million, only a million in dead cap if they really wanted to do that. Then, you know, right now you can capitalize on that because if the day Elijah Moore, you know, the day James Crowder gets released, Elijah Moore shoots up probably multiple, multiple rounds. Right. So it's like same thing with Zach, Zach Ertz. I like was that. like the uh, last year after Debo got hurt, all of a sudden Brandon Ayuk goes from, you know, basically being like a 14th, 15th round pick to, you know, going in the seventh, eighth round of, of drafts just because, you know, the way the injury happened. Right. So like you said, if you, if you think that, someone like Crowder is no longer to be in contention and, and more right now is going at the back end of drafts. You, you know, his value is going to go up. So grab him now. Exactly. You know I mean? I saw We saw it a couple years ago. Another one, a couple years ago was people saw the smoke with um, Antonio Brown. You know, he's like got this weird stuff going on with the helmet. He doesn't say he's yeah. not going to play because the helmet, he, you know, freezing his feet off with the, with the, the, Whatever that thing was, I the, forgot he froze his the feet frozen oh, therapy my, thing. Yeah, and cryotherapy. Then call, yeah, right. and then he calls the GM a cracker and gets kicked off the team. It's like all that happened over the course of a couple of months. If during that span you were like, "Hey, I think Antonio Brown's lost his mind," I'm gonna go out and get Daryl Darren Waller because I think now his target's gonna open up when this guy doesn't inevitably play. Like it, you could have you could have made huge money on that. You know, Gary Haddo, um, that's on the Lightning Round podcast, he won the Scott Fishbowl because he drafted every other position 
and then waited on tight ends, drafted four in a row in like the teens. But one of them happened to be Darren, Darren Waller. We draft in July. So that's kind of where if you have these big hunches now, if you've been doing the research at this part of the year and you have all these big hunches that you believe are going to be true and you believe that everyone else is going to catch up on them later, now is when you put in that lottery ticket early. So that's where I think the value of best ball is. If you have these hunches, jump into best ball, you know, punch a ticket with a bunch of them now just so you have it in your back pocket, you know? Yeah, definitely for sure. Now, Coop, obviously we have a lot more to talk about when it comes to best ball, and we'll cover that uh, in future pods here. But as we as we let everybody go here, any any final thoughts, any any words of wisdom you want to share uh, with our listening audience here? I will say that since we're talking about best ball, if you are going to get into one, if you've never played before, the big way to capitalize is home run hitters. To uh, you know, guys like Raheem Mostert, Tutu Atwell. Anthony Schwartz, all these guys that nobody likes at all, really, in other leagues. This is a spot where, you know, if you can hit a one-shot, one one-and-done home run for 60 yards, you get that. Because the whole idea of best ball is, for anyone that's never played, you the, the guys automatically slot into your lineup based on who scores the most points. So you don't have to set the lineup yourself. No lineup setting. It's right. Literally, you draft, and then you watch. Exactly. So it's like it washes all the negatives away of the home run hitters. So a guy like Tyreek Hill, who has 30, 30 point games all the time, but he also every once in a while will have like a dud game because it's like, you know, sometimes when you're a guy that big, if, you know, you, the screens don't work or you don't catch the deep one, you catch, you know, a couple of passes for like 10 yards. Those don't go into your lineup. So it's like guys like that are crazy valuable in this format. So if you are doing one of these leagues, especially with people that don't usually do them, Keep that in mind when you're looking for like Tyler Lockett's or these guys that, you know, Amari Cooper, who's super inconsistent. You don't have to deal with the games where they do poorly because you hypothetically will have other guys that will go in your line. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like something to keep in mind if you do do the best balls. Yeah, for sure. Do you got any uh, any articles we should be on the lookout for coming out next? Yeah, I mean. Uh, I am going to, I think that I'm going to have an article coming out soon, a similar vein to the Zeke and the Swift ones on Joe Mixon. Uh, I'm going to do an article on best ball strategy, but uh, for the most part, if you uh, keep an eye on us out there, we retweet everything. And as always with fantasy alarm, you know, I got this from Howard Bender. I know you're the same way, John. I've never had somebody ask me a question and then I didn't answer it. So, you know, if sometimes it might take me a little bit to get to, but if you tag me in a question, say, Hey, what do you think about this? I'm I'm guaranteed to get back to you. I know John will too. And I know, you know, on Sundays, Howard every morning for hours is out there just cranking out answers. So (laughs) yeah, Uh, Howard Benders answers enough questions that he actually gets banned from Twitter. Twitter will ban him for answering too many questions. Uh, They think that he's a bot. He is a fantasy football robot. Yeah. They think he's a bot. So he gets put in Twitter jail and he has to answer questions, um, you know, from either our, our fantasy alarm account or, he just directs them to me. So you've been uh, yeah. you've been you've been put in jail for uh, using that Chumbawamba song too on yeah, one of our did, things, yeah, right? Yeah, shout out Petey Stitz getting our, our, <laughs> our account banned for a little bit. We got that fixed in Omar Chumbawamba uh, yeah. for sure. But if you're not already following Coop, get him on Twitter at Coupe Fiasco. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at jmpemba777. Uh, this is the first of many. Fantasy Alarm, Fantasy Football Podcast, and this offseason, again, leading you uh, all offseason into your fantasy football drafts, post-draft as well into the season. Coop and I will be here uh, to lead you guys to hopefully a fantasy football championship. Uh, But for now, we uh, we will catch you guys next week.